Welcome to Blamo, a podcast exploring the world of fashion and culture with the personalities that shape it. My guest this week is the acclaimed film director, writer, actor, and producer, Mr. Paul Feig. Look, where do I begin? The man is a legend and is responsible for countless hours of laughter he's given us. Whether it was directing episodes of Arrested Development or The Office, or movies like Spy, Bridesmaids, and Ghostbusters, or creating what I think is perhaps one of the best television shows ever, Freaks and Geeks. To top it all off, Paul is the Hollywood dandy. Never without a suit and tie, even in our interview in his hotel room, he was dressed to the nines. Paul and I spoke about his early life growing up and why he's always in a suit. We also discussed his new collaboration with J. Crew and how he's influencing Hollywood and helping mold the modern gentleman. Here's my talk with Mr. Paul Feig. Hey, before we get started, I wanted to ask you, what shirt are you wearing? Do you like it? Did you get dressed today and look in the mirror and see how lame your shirt is and get upset? Well, I certainly did. But now I wake up and I put on a shirt from Taylor Stitch and I feel good. I've been wearing the Jack Blue Oxford and I love it. Because it's a good shirt from a good company that isn't destroying the world. Taylor Stitch has set out to challenge the way the clothing industry operates. From the way they source to the way they sew to the way they sell. You'll find a better product for the long haul at taylorstitch.com forward slash blammo. Right now, Taylor Stitch is giving Blamo listeners a special offer for 20% off their first purchase. Visit taylorstitch.com forward slash Blamo and thank me later. Mr. Paul Feig. Hello. It is a pleasure and an honor to sit with you and talk to you today. This is a huge deal for me. Thank you so much for making the time. Thank you, Jeremy. I feel the same way. This is great. Thanks. Um, there's so many things to talk to you about. Mm-hmm. One of those is your love of clothes, the fact that you created Freaks and Geeks, which I ball through. It is <laughs> some of the best television ever Thank existed. You. Thank you. Um, you know, you did Bridesmaids, you did Spy, you did Heat, you did Ghostbusters. I mean, mm. the laundry list of accomplishments are mind-blowing, and <laughs> it's an honor. Thank you. Um, but thankfully... <laughs> because I'm not a, a movie g- genius or buff, we're here to talk about clothes. Ah, thank goodness. My favorite topic. <laughs> Literally my favorite topic. Um, <laughs> so I was able to do just a, a little bit of research on you outside of the stuff that I had, and I had no idea that your father was a retailer. Yeah, yeah, he was. He, um, he owned an army surplus store. Right. So I grew up around retail. Um, I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> uh, it was one of those situations where, you know, when your father is a lawyer or a policeman or a fireman, you can't really go to work with him except to just kind of see the cool stuff he does. But when your father owns a store, basically you are free labor for him. And, right. Uh, so I had to, uh, I had, I had a, a job from the time I was about five years old. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. My, my dad's, my dad's anytime you were not at school or whatever, you come to the store and you'll work and you know, it's, just, it's kind of like child labor really. It's not really <laughs> legal, but he did it and I was there. And so I learned a lot about retail, but I also learned I, I didn't really have a desire to go into it in the way that you would if you own a store. Right. You know, cause his was, you know, is an army surplus store that started out as a pawn shop really. Oh snap! In, in downtown Detroit, yeah. When I when he was you know a single man, and then when he met my mom, he just he just kept building the the business up, and so moved it to outside of Detroit, um, right on Lake St. Clair. We had this he had this store that I knew is growing up. I worked at a long time. It was chock a block, you know. One of the I don't know. Yeah, surplus stores kind of look that way still. Yeah. 
where stuff's hanging from the roof, from the ceiling, the tables and everything is just kind of, the whole thing is to not make it look expensive, you know? Oh. Yeah, because if, because you're selling stuff that is not that expensive, technically. Right. Old army surplus and all that kind of thing, plus, you know, rain gear and hunting clothes and that kind of thing. But, you know, he really catered to sort of the middle class, lower middle class, blue collar people that you know were that we grew up around we were you know outside of detroit so we were very you know it's a very factory oriented obviously auto industry town and uh so part of the goal was always to not make the store look like we were over he was overcharging and to the point where like my mom could never have a nice car she always wanted a cadillac so badly oh my god and he's like you can't have a cadillac because you drive up in a cadillac the customers are going to think i'm overcharging them so she was always stuck in like the dodge coronet or we had a pacer we had an amc pacer at one point <laughs> and my dad always drove us a station wagon always but he always wore a suit and tie to work that's that's interesting i have a friend who runs a successful chain of retail businesses and he drives a very you know normal car mm-hmm. um, air quote normal here yeah and i was like dude like oh you should get you know an x5 or a porsche or whatever <laughs> and he's like yeah he's like look let me just tell you something he's like if you work retail he's like your customers want you to do well and survive but they don't want you to do too well yeah totally <laughs> yeah like how much are you marking this up that you can buy a you know lamborghini yeah <laughs> um so is that kind of where you you got interested in, in clothes no, not really, because the surplus store is so kind of antithetical to clothing, really. Right, right. Because, it, you know, it was all army gear and these, you know, and jeans. This is back in the day when there was no pre-wash. So all the jeans were like those stiff Raw. as a board. Yeah, you had to like break them in. <laughs> Lee jeans and you know, right. Levi's and Wranglers and all that kind of thing. And then work boots and camping equipment, that kind of stuff. So, you know, and like we had the hat aisle, which was just every type of hat, but all kind of like working you know hats that you work in or you hunt in or you they keep you warm or whatever so so no kind of style whatsoever in the place you'd have to like you know look for things that you could maybe mix and match with you know the outfits that you had that you liked but my dad always said that the hippies made made his job his his business successful because you know everybody was coming in you know in the 60s and 70s getting the you know the army army jackets and all that which is why Lindsay Weir and uh, Freaks and Geeks wears an army jacket, just kind of as a an ode to my dad's store. Well, and also her dad owns a store. See, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Which is very, very based on my dad's story. Because in the show, we called it, I think it's like a, a, what is it? It's double A something. It has two A's in the name. It's been so long since I've seen the show. But it's based on when my dad had his store, he called it Arc Surplus. Um, I was like, why? And he said, well, I like the image of the Ark, you know, this protecting thing, because he was kind of religious. But the other thing, he goes like, plus, you want to be the first thing listed when they go to surplus stores. You want to be the first name, so start with an A, so that you're, you know, you beat the competition that way. Oh, that's a genius idea. Yeah. This is like SEO, you know, terms back before the internet. Yeah, oh my God, (laughs) totally. Strategizing for the yellow pages, which just makes me laugh. But but yeah, so, so the store was much more about kind of, dressing up because you could dress up i should say right you know because you i you, i could put together the greatest halloween costume ever yeah gi joe totally but you know nothing of any kind of fashion really and uh but like i said my, my dad always wore a suit and tie to work but you know they were cheap they're from sears or whatever so they're kind of polyester and you know and just like a sport coat and slacks or, right. or a suit 
and tie. But I did, that that was the thing that more pounded into my head of like, oh, you know, when you work, you wear a suit. When you're in charge, especially, you you wear a suit and tie. Right. Authority. Yeah, exactly. You know, and he'd be back in the stock room pulling things out, and you know. So I mean, like, it wasn't like sort of pointing and you go do this. It was like he was working in those those suits. Uh, which I, you know, which that's why, you know, flash forward to now when I started, you know, directing, I was like, well, I should wear a suit. And I was like, oh, I can't because I'm going to be down in the, you know, mud or whatever. And I was like, no, just wear a suit. And if it gets dirty, it gets dirty. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, everyone, well, at least from photos I've seen, like, not like I was around in Hollywood in the 1930s, but you <laughs> I thought see- you were. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, everyone that was there, you see them in these gorgeous yeah. suits. Totally. Oh, yeah. And, and even, but I, what I love is the whole crew. Like, you'll see guys up with lights, you know, and they've got a tie on and they're wearing a hat and either they got a jacket or the sleeves are rolled up. And I just like the way that looks. Like I always, always imagined as a kid, like, oh, that's how people who make movies dress. And so when you'd see, you know, things from behind the scenes and like somebody's in sweatpants and the, you, you see know. Spielberg and you're like, damn it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, I always thought like, I said, do I have to grow a beard to be able to, to direct? Cause that's like Gilbert Godfrey had, an, Godfrey had an old joke. He goes like something about somebody. And he goes like, and, and he had a baseball cap and a beard. So I knew he was directing. <laughs> and it's true. Like suddenly everybody's just, just goes, okay, I can't possibly do any bodily functions other than get up and direct this movie, which you know, I, I just don't like that because for me, it's, you know, if you're in charge, you're the captain of the ship and you want to, you know, you want to show respect to the people you're working for. And then I'm lying if I don't say I, I don't just like dressing up. I mean, you know, yeah, you know, it's on a weekend. I'll just put on a tie. We go on vacation. I always wear a tie and jacket. And my wife sometimes is like, you don't want to give that a break one day. It's like, I just. <laughs> Are you serious? So this is it. this is commitment. Oh, yeah, I love it. I love it. I mean, you know, occasionally I'll, like today, earlier today, I was walking around just with like, my collar open. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, I know, exactly. Look out. <laughs> but I had a jacket on and I had my pocket silks and all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I just love it. You know, I mean, life's too short to kind of not look your best, I think. And I do, I, I think it's, it's so tied up with who we are and what we represent to the world. And, and you know, it's, I wrote a few articles for um, for Esquire, and one of them was about like responsible tourism, uh, right? Meaning that when you go, you know, you go on vacation, you know, he's like, you pay to go to a beautiful place, like you know, let's say we go to Capri, you know, or, or Positano or something like that. Just gorgeous, and scenery is beautiful. You've seen it in movies, and so you know, like put on something nice to walk around, even if it's you know my casual <laughs> casual vacation wear, it's a jacket, and you know, whatever. Sure, and. So then you want to take pictures, and here's all these people, like, in T-shirts, in shorts, in, you know, baseball caps, and just kind of dressed like, well, I'm just, I have to be comfortable so I can navigate, you know, around. And now you're bad extras in, in my movie version of what I want my vacation to be. Oh, my God. You know, and so, <laughs> you know, so it's kind of like, you're in this beautiful place. You're not showing, I don't feel that's showing respect to the place. I don't feel like it's showing respect to the people that live there. You know, and also then, like, yeah, if I want to take pictures, like, you know, something like I've got all these poorly dressed extras in my pictures. And if, if I'm in the background, they go, oh, look, at there. there's a gentleman all dressed up. That looks so They're like, why is this guy here? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> is he the star of the movie? <laughs> oh, maybe he owns the restaurant. <laughs> exactly. But I, ne- but I never wanted to be like a class thing where, you know, then that's why with right. this line I'm putting up from J. Crew and all that, you know, I just, I always want to take away that excuse somebody has of like, well, it's too expensive to dress up or this and that. And, you know, everybody will always hit the thing of, I'm not comfortable or whatever. But it's like, you know what? 
you have to be that comfortable. <laughs> How comfortable do you have to be? You know, <laughs> right. I mean, it's you know, if you're wearing something that is nice and you look nice in it, it shouldn't be like a hardship. Yeah, you know, but uh, I don't know if it comes from at least maybe it's the fact that like in some cases, if someone's wearing something nice, a tux, it's a rental, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's not one size fits all. And no. I'm, you know, as we'll talk a little bit more later, it, there's some serious nitty gritty art to. Yeah finding out how messed up the male human body is in terms of the geometry. Yes. Like, I have horrible square shoulders. Tailors look at me and they're like, oof. You know, <laughs> I have an anterior uh, pelvic tilt. <laughs> and like all these things that, you know, you, you miss really good ready to wear. But, yeah. And when you, you know, there's always, there's always these goofy memes that you see and it's like how you look. Or it's, or it's like how you think you look yeah, and yeah. it's like how you actually look. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> oh, that's every time I walk past a mirror, I always just think, oh, I look so good. And then it's like, oh, God damn it. Who put that old man's head on top of that suit? <laughs> um, I steal a line that you've said before, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing this, but you had talked about one of the best things about wearing a suit is because you can go into any bathroom. <laughs> it's true. And it worked when I came in, you know, to this lovely hotel that we're at. Yes. Um, I, you know, just mosey downstairs, the restroom, no one cared. No, no. you know, they're they, like, oh, this guy's in a suit. He looks like he's supposed to be here. They welcome you in. They literally <laughs> are saying, please come in and defile our bathroom. Yeah. Because <laughs> you got the suit. Hello. You know, if you walked in and yeah, you know, t-shirt and, and you know, uh, excuse shorts. Me, can I help you? Yeah, really, sir. You know. No, it's true. <laughs> so, um, I want to chat a bit about J. Crew. Mm-hmm. So you are releasing a line. Yeah. Is this this is a collaboration that you that you helped design? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it, it, it's a small line, so it's only two suits. Um, okay. But then a, a line of accessories or shirts. Uh, there's separate pants that we did that are kind of these colorful cords, um, and then pockets pocket silks that I helped design. I, I did a bunch of artwork for them, that little little motifs that then they took and had another artist kind of make a big big collage of it and so there's a few different designs and they figured out how to use these designs that i made and those are being done for charity oh wow. um, yeah for for a thing called stomp out bullying um which is an anti-bullying charity obviously and so 50 percent of the profits from from the the silks go to that oh that's awesome uh, but then there's also like boutonnieres that i, I you know have made up because i i always wear these charvet uh, boutonnieres that i love yeah, beautiful so, thank you yeah i i love them i you know it, it's just a way to kind of spruce up, you know, extra things in your in your suit. But there's right. that, and then there's a line of cufflinks, a couple of cufflinks we're doing, um, ties, and all that. So, so you know, but it's a mini line. It's a little experiment experiment sure. for them. But I'm thrilled I'm, because you know, actually, what I'm wearing right now is one of my this is one of my suits. Are you serious? Yeah, it's a it's a what, what I did is I, I it's a one and a half breast is what I brought to them. The idea of the one and a half breast was a, which is not did not originate with me but a For lot sure. of people aren't doing you know aren't doing it as much as they're doing a full double breast right and what i like about it is just you know with, with i love double breasts but you know and i get a mine made from like anderson and shepherd so i actually the same ones that prince charles wears the gold standard yeah oh which i mean they're the greatest suits ever but you can't leave them a butt because then just you have these enormous flaps of yeah <laughs> of cloth yeah which i don't mind because I, I like the way it looks buttoned but what i like about the one and a half is it's a chance for guys who might not want to always be buttoned up to still be able to wear that look but if you unbutton it you don't have this mass of uh you know fabric coming out the front yeah you're not gonna look like you know like a really bad armani ad or yeah 
Exactly. Yeah. Or like David Letterman when he would always, you know, have, That's it, right. have it undone. It's like, oh man, just button that up. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about like clothing and, and style in general because I have been involved in the clothing, clothing industry, I don't know, maybe 10, 10 years or so. Mm. And it is so difficult. And the tough thing is everyone always tells me like, no, it's super easy. It's super easy. And as I've gotten deeper into the industry, I've just... I've made tons of mistakes. A, a quick example, um, I have the, a suit made by this tailor out of Florence named Liverano. Um, amazing Florentine cut, fascinating. And I was like, I'm getting a bespoke suit. I got to get something crazy. And I remember a friend of mine was like, go Navy, go Navy. I got this weird apparel arts looking 1930s multi-stripe thing. I've worn it twice. It's So I, I, I guess like when, when you're making a line, like, how how can you water it down per mm. se, but still make it um, exciting? Well, I mean that that for me is my whole philosophy on it is you don't want the thing that is of the moment, you right? Know, because then you you can't keep wearing it. You know, you wear it a couple times and everybody sees it. Also, you just it's better to steer away from something that is so distinctive. <laughs> that you can't wear it over and over again. You know, like like your suit, I'm sure it's beautiful, but like if you were to wear it twice in a week, people are like, oh yeah, we saw that suit earlier oh, yeah. this week. People are like, oh yeah, corduroy thing. Okay, yeah, I get it. Exactly. <laughs> so what I try to do, you know, for me, my whole philosophy is have kind of basics that are really nice, make the cut classic. Right. Uh, so you're never never in or out of style. Right. Uh, um, you know, is you're always there's always a bit of like, how short or long the jacket is for sure there's an asterisk on everything yeah exactly but but you know if you got the like the classic um you know anderson shepherds out of savile row those are pretty timeless really but so so, yeah so get like suits that are that are cut well designed well with just enough kind of something in them to stand out uh color-wise or whatever or to go more basic. I mean, this since we only did two suits, we kind of spruced it up a little bit more. The, the Glencheck is beautiful. Thank you so much. It's excellent. I, I Glencheck is super underrated. Yeah. Oh no, I'm I'm so with you. And, and you know, but so but it's, this still could kind of fade into the background a little bit, right? What it is is for me, it's ties and boutonnieres and pocket silks are what make things pop. So I've you know I've got I've de- definitely got some very standard ones from Savile Row and my you know one like three pieces are navy blue dark gray, brown, you know, but I always wear different ties and combinations. And I have so many people like I work with like two years down the line, they've been seeing this suit forever. And they're like, Oh, wow, that's beautiful. It's a new suit. And it's like, no, thank you. But no, it's the exact same suit you've seen before. It's just this combination of ties and all that I've, you know, and colors that I've done. So I'm a real fan of, of, of color, um, but, but pops of color. Yeah, but not a wash of color. You just want things to stand out. You don't want to be like. Sometimes I'll mix and match my boutonnieres and my pocket silks and my ties, and I'll go, "Oh, there's just too many things going on here." So we'll usually pull back one element. Um, you know, if if I have a like really cool pocket silk with a fun tie, then I'll go to my standard white boutonniere just because I'm realizing I got three different patterns going. It's pretty scary. That's a fight. Yeah, it's a big fight. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but then but then also, you know, the times when I when I don't wear a tie when open neck, then it's like have a boutonniere and have the pocket silk because then you've gone that extra bit. You know, and most that's what I like about the boutonniere is a lot of people have embraced, a lot of guys have embraced having a pocket silk. Yeah. But so then how do you stand out from the crowd, 
even from that? You know, yeah. how do you give that extra thing of like telling the world, look, I really care about how I look, or, or this is the image of myself I want to show you, or I want you to have fun when you look at what I'm wearing, yeah. you know, because my big thing about, you know, goes back to what we're talking about, about why dress up every day and all that other than looking good on vacation is <laughs> just that, you know, whether we like it or not, we are judged by how we look. Yeah. There's just, you know, it's, it's you can, the truth. Yeah. No, we we can right. go, Oh, don't look at me, but you do. I, I do it. I'm very like, try to not be materialistic about people and all this, but you know, if somebody comes walking up to me, like, you know, I see somebody dressed terrible. My first thing is like, Oh, I, I have, yeah, how so a lower opinion of them, but it's kind of yeah, it does it affects my opinion of them. And if somebody walks up beautifully dressed, it's like oh my, you know, look, the beautifully dressed person could be an absolute monster, yeah. you know, and the poorly dressed person could be the world, the world's most wonderful person. And so, but it's for that first hurdle of like, how do you want to present yourself to the world? If you want the world to go look at you and go like, oh, that's a person that doesn't care about anything. Cool, then then that's your thing. Do that, but yeah, really think about what you want to say to the world, other than. I de- I'm desperate to be comfortable, <laughs> you know, because that to me, that's not a style. That's not a statement about anything other than you're lazy. You know, it's what's the, that line from Seinfeld is so funny of like George. I think Seinfeld says to George when he shows up in sweatpants, he goes, that just says to the world, I give up. Yeah. You know, and he's like, strive not to tell the world you give up. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's something I wrestle with a lot because especially right now in like, you know, capital F fashion you don't really see suits that yeah. much anymore. I no. mean, in, in 2010, you kind of had this resurgence of, uh, a lot of people call it hashtag menswear mm. because it was social media. Um, and, you know, it was about this sort of Italian look. Everyone was obsessed with Gianni Agnelli, the, mm. you know, try, twisting their ties. I purposely still tie my tie with the other blade a little bit longer. Yeah, nice. And... Um, sprezzatura yeah yeah the whole spreads the purposeful dishevelment yes, right exactly. but now it's purposeful sweatpants yeah. and i think it's okay but the truth is i guess the the better way to explain it is all that stuff that i've bought because i've fallen down every rabbit hole of <laughs> fashion i don't have that stuff anymore yeah and i'm just i'm just getting rid of it well the big question you have to ask yourself is do i look good in that stuff you know, uh, it, I used to wear a kilt. I wore a Rick Owens kilt. Oh, see, I got married in a kilt. So, Did you? Uh, so we are brethren on that. Yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I got mine tailored in, in Edinburgh, Jeffrey oh. Taylor. I want the full thing. But I love those ones that you, you were wearing. Okay. Those are, I think I, here, I, I, my father was a very judgmental person. And okay. I was like, why would they do that? Why, why, why? And I always get so mad. I go, like, I don't like the, the, the word why should only be in a question about why does something work or why does, you know, something exist. Sure. Not why does somebody do something? It's like because they want to, because they like it, because they feel good about themselves. So I always try not to be judgmental in that way. <clears throat> and so, you know, I look at that kind of stuff. I go like, oh, I kind of wish people were wearing suits or whatever. But at the same time, I go like, well, if that's your style, if that's the style you've come up with that says this says the most about me and this is kind of who I want to be, then that's cool. I never want to be the guy kind of hmm. going like, oh, don't wear that. But again, it just comes back to is that your style? Is that what you're trying to say? And do you look good? You know, I mean, how many times have you seen, you know, like the older dude, you know, who clearly went shopping with his young girlfriend or something, you know, and he walks in in kind of this outfit, you go like, man, you are just 20 years too old for that. Yeah. But the test I always 
tell everybody said like you know don't you know look in a mirror and look at your head look at your head on top of that outfit because if you're just <laughs> looking at the outfit you're like this looks so cool it's like no look what's on top of it yeah <laughs> does that work you know and, and it doesn't mean you shouldn't be able to take a chance you know god bless you if you want to go for it my mother was you know who's gone now but you know when she was when she's in her 70s she just had the greatest self-image of herself and there was, you know, and she had kind of a cannonball stomach and all this. But my <laughs> wife went shopping with her. It was a time a number of years ago when like bare midriffs were in. And she oh, like, sure. bought something from bare midriffs and she thought she looked so great. And it just, all of us were just so embarrassed. But it's like, you know what? She's so happy. I'm never going to tell her, you know, how dare you wear that or you look ridiculous. Like, are you happy, mom? Great. And, and you know, that's your style. You're telling something nice to the world. Yeah. Go for it. I want to I jump to your sort of style journey you have because obviously, what you have is something that I don't think that someone can just wake up and, and shift right into that person. Right. So what was your first, um, oh boy suit? Like your first, like what? Okay. I'm doing this suit. Uh, it was early on. It was, um, I was probably about eight or nine. Oh, this is the Pierre Cardin? Yeah, the Pierre Cardin suit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The infamous, I, I, I can tell you the short version of it, just because I, I had read this book, Groucho Marx was my hero, and I'd read this book where he said he never trusted a man that didn't dress up. And so I was like, oh, I have to dress up because I have to be like Groucho. Um, and then I'd also been watching a lot of old movies with my mom. You know, she mm-hmm. loved all the old films. So you see Cary Grant, you know, Fred Astaire and all the, the, best. All the usual suspects. Yeah, exactly. How they were dressed. You're like, I want to look like that. So when I told my mom I wanted to dress up, she immediately packed me in the car and took me down to uh, the Somerset Mall. Oh, wow. So was, she did this for you? Oh, yeah. Oh, she was so excited. I was an only child. So, okay. yes, I, I was that little Lord Fauntleroy, Fauntleroy kid. Um, you know, and she was kind of my best friend. She just loved encouraging anything I was into. Yeah. And so, yeah, we found this three-piece Pierre Cardin suit, gorgeous thing with like a big, you know, kind of a window pane design on it and stuff. And got it and got it tailored and it was the greatest thing ever and my dad was so angry he's like how what how much that costs he's gonna grow out of it in you know three months and yeah i did but i wore it every every day until i grew out of it and i love that thing what then as you get older i mean from what i from what i had read you 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 jump into suits around the 90s Mm -hmm. and what was your first like adult suit um well i mean i i i Honestly, when I was a teenager, I, I kept the suit thing going. And oh, my God. Yeah, because here's the thing. I, I, I was you know, in high school, and I was a teenager in the late 70s. That was when disco came in. Right. So disco. Saturday Night Fever. Totally. There but, you go. So guys were really, if you were into disco, guys were really stepping it up. Uh, and I remember buying like this GQ book called uh, Looking Good or something, and it just had all these fashions in it. Very kind of early Ralph Lauren kind of looks. Right. Double breasts and all that. And so... So I got a bunch of that stuff, um, and so I was dressing really nicely through high school. Jeez. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was really, really went for it. Um, and it was only when I got to college that then I started going, oh, maybe I've got to you know, blend in a bit more. But I still kind of dressed there. But right out of college, then I'd be, you know, I was an actor, but I became a stand-up comedian. And so right when I was kind of finding my persona as a stand-up, it was when willy wear suits were big. Do you remember those? Was that like what Steve Martin wore? No, no. Willy okay, wear, excuse me. No, that's okay. No, I, but I had a three-piece. Because again, Steve Martin was my hero, so I had a three-piece white suit. That okay. I would just wear. So I just, I just copied everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but willy wear was this um, brand of suits that were very loose. Um, and you would roll up the sleeves. Oh. You know, and then I, my, my style at the time was... Um, 
to wear bolo ties. So I'd wear a bolo tie with like very you know, cool. Yeah, exactly. Bolos <laughs> are so cool, cool right now too. Oh, really? Well, see, there you go. Because <laughs> my grandmother used to say, she said, "Fashion." What they said, she said, they take fashion and they put it in a barrel. And every time something goes out of style, they put it in a barrel, and then they just pile everything on top. You know, each time it goes out of style, and then they take the barrel and they turn it over and they take it up and they just start taking things from the, <laughs> from the bottom of the barrel. And she's That's right because I've now that I'm 55 years old, I've seen so many styles cycle through. You know, and so many times you're, you're like, oh my gosh, I know you think this looks good. Take it from me. Looking back 10 or 20 years at myself in that, it didn't look good. <laughs> but you don't want to kill somebody's enthusiasm that way. But um, so, uh, yeah, so these the Willy Wear suits. So I started wearing those on stage and um, they were great. They were really loose and fun. But then as my stand up career started taking off you know, in a small way, I was never famous, but, but I, you know, I did well. Um, I, started to want to be a little more man of the people and so started oh, okay. dressing down a little bit and, and my style from that was then old vintage bowling shirts. I got it. I got the perfect gift. Every year I would always wait till the last minute and get something bad for my friends and family. Spoiler alert, it's a beautifully handcrafted custom frame picture I got from Canvas Pop. Canvas Pop makes it easy for you to turn any photo into the ultimate personalized gift. I went to canvaspop.com and ordering was super easy. I live chatted with Julie from their customer support team and she walked me through the process, helped me pick what size would work best and framing option. I even received proof of what the print would look like before it was sent to print. If you're looking for a one-of-a-kind personalized gift for a loved one, check out Canvas Pop. Right now, they're giving all Blamo listeners 50% off with a minimum order of $100 with code BLAMO50 at checkout. So visit canvaspop.com and get your order in now. Be sure to order by December 17th to guarantee your beautiful print before the holidays. So order now and don't buy a dumb gift certificate from Amazon. Get something special from Canvas Pop. So, so I had old vintage bowling shirts and like kind of big pleated pants and then Converse, different color Converse high tops. Right. But again, it was my style. And that's my thing. I always kind of say to people, just have a style. Pick some style that you want and then have fun within it. And it was, it's not, again, it kind of told people who I was when I get up on stage. But I'll say my hair was really long back then. So, oh, okay. Yeah. And then, but then out of that, when, when the grunge movement came in, like yes. Crack, Cracker was my favorite band. Oh, and that first video they had, which um, is them in like flannel shirts. Is this for low work boots? Uh, no, it was before that. It oh, was okay. For what the world needs now is a you know, what the world needs now is a new. I forget. Right. <laughs> but it's also off their first album, and I just got so enamored with that look of kind of work boots and flannel. I was like, I want to take that look. So then I kind of adapt adopted that look. It's my look for a long time. And you go like, I can go to Sears and buy like. You know, like right dickies and yeah, and oh, totally. man, I'm cool. Uh, yeah, and like the, like the black work <laughs> shoes that like mailmen and stuff wear. And go like steel toes, totally. And you go, and my dad, ironically, this is all stuff my dad used to sell back in the day. And right, so I really was kind of starting to wear stuff that he used to have at his store, but I kind of fashion forwarded it into my own gear, and then kind of stuck with that for a long time because I was also like. Um, uh, uh, what's the name of the book? Um, Catcher in the Rye. It's like my favorite. Colin Caulfield. Exactly. There my favorite go. book of all time. So I was like, got the hunting cap. And yeah. So I based it all on that. So again, copying other people's style constantly. Um, and did that all the way through Freaks and Geeks. 
Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So I was, I kept, and I went through a period where I was really a slob, really, because I, I got very kind of just against, I think it was kind of with Reaganism and all that stuff okay. and, and coming out of that. And also I was in LA right? and I'd gone to USC, which was insufferably filled with these young Republicans and, you know, all this kind of, just like the, you know, rich kids driving Porsches around a poor neighborhood, yeah. you know, and just okay. being total assholes about it and stuff. So I, I really rebelled against that. And to the point where I was like, I'm going to dress down too, because that's my rebellion against, you know, against these kind of people. Right. I remember once, you know, I have really close friends, um, this couple who invited me out to dinner at this really nice restaurant uh, in Santa Monica. And I made some, I was going to make some stand by, like, I wore shorts, and, like a Hawaiian <laughs> shirt. And like, and I remember walking in and they're just looking at me like, what am I doing? And, and I sat down for a minute like, yeah, I'll show all these people because everybody was all dressed up. And then I remember just going like, this is really a Pyrrhic victory. <laughs> like, I just look terrible, and I felt really bad about it. But this is, you know, but now this is going back because this is right in the 80s and 90s, people were still dressing up yeah. to go out. So it actually, you can make a stand. Now, you know, we flip forward. I'm so many times, even in New York, I'm one of the few guys wearing a tie, wearing a suit and tie when I go oh, to a sure. really nice restaurant. Yeah. And I've been given bad tables. Because I'm dressed too nicely. Because I'm a, I almost think they go like, oh, that, look, here's the dummy who doesn't normally go out to dinner. Let's, we can give him the shitty table. It's like, no, I'm not sitting in the kitchen. Like, I dressed up for this event. Oh, but there's fascinating. A, oh, it, it, I find it fr frustrating. I, I mean, the, the worst thing, the, the biggest thing for me was I love Las Vegas. I've always loved Las Vegas. And, okay. and the, my image of what Las Vegas used to be. Because when I was a kid, I got taken to Las Vegas by my parents all the time. But I wasn't, that was when you, if you weren't old enough, you couldn't even walk through the, uh, you couldn't walk through the casino. Oh. You had to be taken oh, right. around the outer edge. But I remember looking down on that floor and see people in suits, and ties, and tuxedos, and it was so classy. And so that was always my image of like, oh, when I'm old enough, I'm going to go back to Vegas. And so I finally go back to Vegas, you know, when I was in my 20s or whatever, dressed up in that. I mean, it's dressed terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's literally ground zero for the worst dressed people in the world. And, <laughs> You know, because again, like they just, I don't care. I'm going to be comfortable. Um, and so, you know, we, so even to this day, like we go to really fancy restaurants there and like, you know, you're the guy in the suit and everybody else is dressed like they just came from the pool. Yeah. And, you know, I, I was at, uh, Robichon has an amazing restaurant. I mean, three-star restaurant. There. For sure. It's gorgeous room and the service, unbelievable. But they dress like that. And I, you know, I said to the guys, I said, really, you guys don't have some kind of dress code? He said, like, there's yeah. nothing we want more than to have a dress code, but we can't turn anybody away because we don't know who's a high roller. We don't know who's making a ton of money for the, you know, for the casino. So, you know, so I get it, but it's like, oh, God, really? It's just that thing of, like, why can't, you know, people just sort of respect that there's places where you want to look nice? Yeah, I mean, if you go to... Uh, Boulay downtown, mm. they still have jacket required. Oh, so but yeah. if you look at a lot of the other places, I think like per se doesn't have yeah. a uh, or French laundry, yeah. I mean, but that's like Sonoma, so they basically just assume that you're yeah. in jeans and a Silicon Valley outfit. Oh, no, I was a per se a few months ago, and um, yeah, some, some guy in a baseball cap, yeah, well, hats. super loud, and just like, oh, god. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's true. It's super weird how this stuff is, is set up. And, you know, so as, as your sort of your sartorial journey here starts <laughs> happening, 
Who was your first made to measure tailor? Did you, I mean, because you had mentioned a or Anderson and Shepard. Yeah. Did you always stick with British tailoring? Did you ever go Italian? What was? Well, no, I mean, I was really an off the rack guy and then would just have it, you know, tailored by the, you know, the in-house tailor, by the, guy. the store. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm what they, I'm, I'm what is referred to as a wrinkle chaser in, in the business because <laughs> I will go back four, five, six times like this line here. There's something there is like, you know, oh, oh yeah, I am obsessed. You, just, you gotta go bespoke. Well, that's a thing. So that's why I finally ended up doing that. Okay. But it, it was really, you know, I, you know, I, I'm doing well in my career, but I wasn't making that much money, you know, sure. uh, especially when I was directing TV, you don't make, you know, you make a nice chunk for the week you're sure. working, but you don't work every week. So, yeah, yeah, so yeah. it kind of adds up to being like a, a nicely paying job, but you know, not through the roof, not, not bespoke. Yeah. Bespoke uh, is insane. You know, totally. But it's the best thing ever. The greatest, the absolute greatest. And I always heard from people like, oh my, you, you know, when you get one, you'll blah, 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 you'll, you'll go crazy for it. So I was working in london right after bridesmaids i was supposed to do bridget jones baby with that movie that became that that and so i was there for the summer working on it it ended up not going i ended up jumping off just because creative differences sure. but but wonderful people i was working with and it was um one of the heads of of lionsgate lionsgate of i just did a movie for lionsgate one of the heads of working title mm-hmm. um said you know you were working so hard i know you're you know really been putting in a lot of time on this he said i'm gonna buy you as a gift i'm gonna get you a bespoke suit sick yeah <laughs> like, he goes anderson shepherd goes, what <laughs> so i went down there yeah they measured me and i got the whole thing and uh and it was great i mean it's yeah is this hitchcock was this when hitchcock was still cutting yes oh yes okay so oh, yes. lucky you man oh yeah i had mr hitchcock no he the greatest yeah, and it's just, but you know, but there's a lot you learn the first time. Like, yeah, oh, I have to take my pants off while you're standing here. Is <laughs> always the biggest shock of the, like, the bespoke experience. They're like, yeah, I've seen it all. Come on, just <laughs> I, just get it going. I've seen Prince Charles in his underwear. <laughs> <laughs> you, I can handle. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but no, it, it's really it's just such a wonderful thing. And when it it's finally right, but you know, but it it still it takes a lot of a lot of tries to get it right. Even at the best bespoke houses, you know, to get things. You know, get, the arm sleeve hung right and right. make sure you're not collar gapping. I'm obsessed with collar gap. That's my, it's my obsession in life. I'm patting my no, you know, right now. No, you're good. Okay, you, good. You're looking good. <laughs> no, because that's the silent killer. It and, is. I mean, and there's so many tailors that do not even pay attention to it. Yeah. I'm always amazed at that. I've had, because you know, I look back at suits I bought and had tailored and I'm like, this is collar gapping enormously. And I had, I didn't flag it because I didn't think about it, but how could they not see that? Well, that's funny you mention it. And look, I have a love-hate relationship with tailors. And I mm-hmm. think the more you get into clothing, you start to feel that. And yeah. which like, look, I, you know, I know that I, I'm here to get a suit right now. But the difference is I have the idea of how I want to look in my head. Mm-hmm. And then you have the idea of how you want me to look in your head. Yeah, And okay. sometimes that doesn't always align. Mm-hmm. And when you work with some of the Italian tailors, like I've worked with Steed and stuff before and those guys that they're, yeah. they're, they're great. You know, you can say, this is my idea. And now, you know, sometimes they'll have to push back a bit when I've worked with the Italian guys. I love a high rise trouser. Yeah. I want a very high rise trouser. Nice. I want classic Hollywood 1930s. Nice. And they <laughs> are like, no, <laughs> they won't do it. No. And so it's this battle that you have to have with your tailor. Yeah. And I, that's the tough thing that is you go back and it's like, well, look, no, I still see this collar gap here. Like, you got to fix that. And mm. I think when people jump into bespoke tailoring, they don't realize that it's a relationship. And it's like, it becomes, you know, 
this old Italian guy used to talk about how your tailor would be your second wife because yeah. you fight more, you know, with with them than you do with your other with your it's actual. True. Wife. It's very true. I mean, I even remember getting into it, not getting into it, but just like with Mr. Hitchcock, because you know, I had the, the suit. I thought the suit was kind of fine, and then a friend of mine who wears a lot of bespoke, he's like, he said that. Arm is it's, uh, your sleeves are yeah are hanging poorly. So like he said like mm. I, I, I his whole thing was like I can't believe they let you leave the store oh, with it damn like it. that yeah. So then okay. I went back in and so I showed Mr. Hitchcock, you know, and and so he goes oh so oh so you hold your arms like that do you? It's like yeah yes oh, just bro, hanging by bro. my side like literally was just, <laughs> like I don't hold my arms out at a forty five degree angle. <laughs> God bless him, but uh, yeah. um, go to his son now. Yes, you know, they're, they're yeah. great. I especially, yeah. Well, I, I do three pieces from them, and I do the double breasted. I love the double breasted from there. Do you go Italian ever? Um, I want to. I, I definitely want to. Um, I haven't done any. Oh no, what am I talking about? I do Isaiah. Okay. Yeah, but they're 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 so that's made, made to measure. Yeah, yeah, but they're great, and I've become very friendly with um Jean Luca. Okay. And he's the greatest guy ever, yeah. and and um I really fall in love with their suits. I think they're great. I try to kind of emulate a little bit of the feel of theirs in this line that I did for J. Crew. But, yeah. But with bringing some of the more formalness of the of the British, you know, Savile Row thing. So I think, honestly, if you look at the ones from my collection, I feel like they're kind of a little hybrid in my head between Italian and, and uh, Savile Row. I mean, that's the sweet spot. I mean, that mm-hmm. kind of was... You know, I, I guess as you you go further south, you get softer and softer and softer. Yeah, and like some Neapolitan stuff. I mean, I've kind of had to stick in that sweet spot because of my shoulders. Yeah, you know, and I've tried the heavy like Milanese with that strong, strong shoulder, mm-hmm. and it it I look like a football player. <laughs> See, I have the ob- I'm the exact opposite of you because I've got very sloping shoulders. Oh, and so it's you have you gotta have that pad in there. It's the nightmare. you gotta go Chiffonelli, go French. I know Chiffonelli. That's my desire. That's my next one I want to get. Those are the most gorgeous suits. Yeah, but um, yeah, but I mean that's why. But that nothing, you know. I've had a few times in in the bespoke uh, world where they haven't gotten the shoulder right, and then they stick in a pad, and it's like I'm not doing bespoke to get a fucking <laughs> shoulder pad in there it's true. like i want you like figure it out you know don't just suddenly oh we're just gonna slip this in there it's like no i could have done that it you know <laughs> it's where pick your choice a banana republic you know and right right had it done so um some little yeah I'm, I'm not forgiving of that <laughs> so as as you work with other people in these films and stuff that you do um i mean because i've seen you know photos of from when you're You've done Arrested Development, The Office, and all that. I mean, you you really stick out. Like, do you have you? I don't know. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Like, as a director, can you enforce a dress code on the crew? <laughs> I never would. <laughs> they would hate my guts. <laughs> I would like to, but no. I mean, again, I I look at it as I'm the captain of the ship, Stand. and you know, I always say if I got an, a a ship, a cruise ship, and the captain was wearing sweatpants and you know, in a t-shirt, I would be very nervous about that captain. So I want to dress the part out of respect for for everybody else, and besides the fact that I enjoy dressing like that, um, but I do find that some people will then kind of try to step it up around me. Okay. Uh, but what will always happen is the the crew will almost always do one day towards the end where everybody wears a tie. And I, it's very sweet. I find it very, very lovely that they do that. When I was working on Nurse Jackie, the, the DP, who's this very handsome guy, you know, very, you know, he's a total, you know, got the perfect body for wearing suits. Right. Uh, he came in one day in a suit and tie. I think it was my birthday or something. And he looked so 
good. I mean, I was just like, you, you got to do this every day. I'm telling you, if you can pull it off, you should do it. And he didn't, he didn't want to do it, but, uh, but it's like, man, you look great. So, you know, I, I do think it'd be fun. My thing is always, sometimes the crew will come up, oh, they almost feel like they should dress nicer. I'm like, look, I'm a guy that just kind of points and tells people what to do. Oh, sure. Yeah, that's be... all a director does. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I like to reduce it down to that. <laughs> you know, because I'm, you know, I'm not picking up lights and carrying stuff around. Although, I, in my back of my head, I go like, yeah, well, my dad used to, and he used to wear a suit and tie all the time. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. You can, you can definitely do that stuff. Uh, I mean, when I, I worked at a store called The Armory, and you know, one of the main, uh, the co-founders of the Armory is a guy named Ethan Newton, mm. and he would be on his hands and knees in bespoke trousers yeah. cleaning the place. Yeah. And it was, I mean, he was like, yeah, totally. if you can't, if you can't do your entire job in your suit, you probably shouldn't be wearing it. See, I'm with you. And it's what, but it's what I, I it all goes back to what I, it's especially the LA thing, but it, it's just poisoned our society in general, which is what I call the tyranny of the casual. Right. You know, just because it's this whole, you know, it's like when I, I decided I was going to go back to suits. After, it was after Freaks and Geeks. I, you know, when we were doing Freaks, I got really in touch with kind of being... Uh, the, the irony was I never d- dressed down when I was in high school, but I decided I was going to kind of just dress down like one of the kids just to kind of put myself in their head, whatever my <laughs> reasoning was on that. Uh, but then coming out of that, I started going to all these meetings you know, with studios and stuff. And everybody's in suit and tie, and I'm there in my T-shirt, my jeans, and my you know, open Oxford shirt over the top with my faux jacket. And I just it was like, I hate this dynamic. Like they're so in charge, and I'm kind of the artist sitting on the couch with my, you know, always sticking the lowest couch possible, you know, and you're sitting there with your knees <laughs> in your face. Are these purposely lower to the ground? I swear to God, they do it. I swear, <laughs> they always have these fucking couches that are the softest, um, you know. So now my whole thing is, I always go, oh, I got a bad back. Can I sit in that chair? And so I at least get the good chair. Genius. Yes, thank you. No, I, oh, they just outed it, so <laughs> I'm going to keep doing it. But so, so. I made this decision. I'm going to start dressing like them because I used to wear suits. I want to get back to it. I was kind of thinking of it. You know, I was, you know, it was my mid to late thirties. So I'm like an adult. Um, so I went out and bought a bunch of suits at the mall, not great suits by any means, but got a few and um, started wearing them to the meetings. The minute I started wearing them, the, the industry decided they didn't want to be the suits anymore. And so they, I mean, well, the first meetings I went in on it with my suit on, they were all in jeans and t-shirts. Yeah. And, but, in true Hollywood fashion, it wasn't like, oh, gosh, we feel kind of bad. We should dress up. It's immediately they were the superior going like, no, see, this dummy, he doesn't get it that you're not supposed to dress like that fucking anymore. Fucking Hollywood. Yeah, it's fucking Hollywood. Exactly. <laughs> and I was just like, should I? And it's like, you know what? Screw them. I feel way better. I feel cooler and more mature than they, they look. So I'm just going to stick with it. And I've never stopped since. Well, if it makes you feel better, you, you're definitely this pretty big influence in Hollywood now. And... A lot of, I mean, I have a few friends who work at UTA and CAA, and they're all about, you know, they're they're trying, yeah, right? And because yeah. the, their thing is, they also don't want to look just like how we were talking about with your with your father. They don't want to look too successful, yeah, right? Yeah. So they they want to come in, and a lot of them are like, all right, I'm just going to start. I'm going to get a real nice navy jacket, and I'm going to do a polo shirt. Yeah. You know, polo shirt and jeans, mm-hmm. and I think you know because you've you've written a few things for Esquire. It's definitely you're moving the needle out there. I'm trying. I mean, <laughs> that's what I kind of like about the agent world. I feel like the agenting world is the only place that still kind of has hung on to some form of a dress code. Right. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, if I can, if I can affect one, one person positively, there I'd be go. happy. I, I just, what, well, I get heartened because I see it's usually like the young guys, you know, the young assistants or the you know, young agents or whatever who are starting to step it up. 
Um, and, and I, you know, and I really encourage that. But then, like, I'm a member of the Soho House, mm-hmm. and you go to Soho Houses, they won't let you in with a suit and tie on, and it makes me crazy. I was in Berlin at the Soho House in Berlin. They came over because I'd gotten in, and we were drinking and you know having fun and everything. They came over and made me take my tie off. Well, time to change. Yeah, and I was like, you know what? Because what frustrates me about that is, is like, what, what is the message? What is like, oh, only assholes wear ties. It's like, look, I get that you might have been inundated with a bunch of bankers and right, like, right. Wall Street guys this who is are for cool people, jerks. Yeah, but totally. <laughs> but like, so, so then they go and put on a tracksuit, and suddenly they're any better. It's like it's such like a little child's, you know take on what oh they're wearing a tie they're ooh they're mean and they're bad it's like come on guys really because that that's just helping perpetuate this thing of people not dressing up right you know so last thing to that <laughs> I, I last thing i want to talk to you about uh the watch game yeah so that that is definitely something i've seen you you know from your instagram and all these mm-hmm. other things you've gotten more and more in, into watches yeah is it did did that kind of happen around the same time yeah it did it um i'd always i'd always loved fun watches um so i was really like mickey mouse watches and donald duck watch every time you go to disneyland you buy some cookie watch or whatever um so i always had a, a love of watches my wife got me a tag hauer um when I, you know as i turned 30 or something that was the first like nice watch I right had. right right and i really liked it a lot but it wasn't until you know you always see rolexes and all those things you're like possibly get that but we were in london and a friend of ours a producer friend of ours she collects Rolexes, and she took us to um, one of those the, the jewelry. I forget. It's one of those jewelry markets where they do a lot of secondhand stuff and all. Yeah, that. going it's vintage. One. Yeah. Okay. And she had her plates that she got stuff from, and so she, we got there, and she's like, "Show him a Rolex." And so they pull out this GMT two, and and, um, and it, I never what I never liked about the GM2, two, GMT two is that it had that Pan Am. It's, it's Pan Am, you know, the red yeah, and blue yeah. thing, which a lot of people don't know. The notice. 1675. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I just don't like that look because it looks too kind of like American flaggy for me. Um, that's a good point. Yeah, you know, it just, I, those kind of colors were kind of like, ugh, I want something that's going to blend in a little bit. Got to go root beer. Be classic. Exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> but then the guy said, he said, oh, no, I can change the bezel out because those are interchangeable. So he popped it out and he put an all black one in. And it had a black face. And I was just like, oh, my God, this is gorgeous. I oh, put it nice. on. It felt so great. And she got me this really good deal on it. And so I bought it. I remember buying it going like, am I actually buying a Rolex? It's you a know? rabbit hole. Yeah, total rabbit hole. And yeah. I didn't really have that much money. So this is kind of like a gulp. Oh, boy, I'm going to pay for this <laughs> down the line. But I fell in love with that watch. And I wore it, you know, just nonstop for forever. And then when, you know, things started going a little better in my career, it said like, well, maybe I can get another one, and then yeah, then it's total rabbit hole. I mean, I've got some watches. They're now. they're totems. I mean, they I are. you know, I'm for me like uh, watches are certain points in my life. Like I you know I wanted a Rolex forever, and I basically I used you know I would kind of buy and sell watches for dudes, and I wrote about watches for a while, mm. and I had never really owned it. You know, I knew everything about it in my head, but I didn't, I didn't have it. Yeah. And I saved and slaved. And like, you feel that, you feel that when you get it, but when you, when you give the, when you get it, it's, I don't know if it's the reward or the hard work or the peace, but it's like, oh, right. This is it. This is that feeling. It's the greatest <laughs> feeling in the world. Well, actually, I re- remember what, what caused me to really start going down the rabbit hole, which was right when we were doing, um, Bridesmaids still, um, 
Judd and I got contacted because uh, they were doing uh, that the new Spider-Man movie, right? The one with right. Andrew Garfield, right? And um, they had some scenes in high school that they needed rewrite, rewritten. And so um, Judd said, "You want to do that and pass it off to me?" And I said, "Sure." I'd like you know. You punched it up. I, I wrote. I wrote the the high school scene. There's a couple of scenes in a high school, but but you know, I said I said, "Well, do we char- How do we do this? What do they do? They charge them?" He said, "Like he says, look, I've done this in in the past. It's much easier to just go like, hey, if I do this, like buy me a present. Here's something I'd like." Right. And right. so I was like, okay. So I went online and looked at a because I'd always wanted to get a Panerai. And I was like. So I looked it up online and found this one. I said, hey, if I do this, really like this Panerai. And then it showed up at the house. Bingo. I know, total bingo. But what I didn't realize, though, this is the bad thing about it. I'd never kind of seen it in person. I didn't realize how big a Panerai is. Oh, yeah. Is. I mean, oh, they were the diving God. watches, the Italian diving watches. Totally. And this was one. It was a special edition one that had like a, a metal bracelet. And the, the, every, it was enormous. I remember opening up and going like, oh, my God. Yeah. It's so big. But I, I love it. I, I put a, um, ended up putting a leather band on it. And I still, it's one of my repertoire. That's awesome. Yeah. But a, a total rabbit hole. That's really, yeah. I, I've gone, you know, like I've, I like to collect all the, a lot of smaller watches. I have an old Tudor oh, that's nice. like a 34 millimeter, beautiful. And yeah, I mean, I had a, a large Panerai at one point because it's like 47 millimeters mm-hmm. in some of these. Yeah. And I was like, I feel like sliced alone. I'm like, I'm looking <laughs> no. in there and it's just, but yeah, I mean, watches in general, they're great. No, they're really fine. Yeah. I mean, but that's, I mean, now I'm in love with, I, I, I was lucky enough to get the new Daytona. Oh yeah. I was, you, you had that on your, on your Instagram yeah, earlier. I got one with black face and one with the white face. So it's very, very, there you go. Very bad. But, um, yeah, <laughs> but I used to love the big watches, but then, you know, I always like to look at a, like a Tourneau. There's, you know, their pre-owned ones or whatever. And you notice how many Breitling, um, Bentley <laughs> models art for because they're enormous yeah people are going small yeah you know like little little patek philippes and things like that mm-hmm. yeah yep i'm with you um well mr feig yes sir. paul thank you so much thank for doing this um is, is there any other stuff you want to add or mention before we wrap up gosh um no just just i mean you know try to look good everybody <laughs> you know it's that it's this whole thing of kind of like people think they're being rebellious by not trying to look their best. And it's like, there's no rebellion in that. I don't think anymore, you know, that's, yeah. it's, it's so the status quo to not want to look good that you're not rebelling. If you're being, you're more rebellious now if you dress up. So <laughs> stick it to the man and dress up. <laughs> that's, that's true. All right. Well, thank you very, very much. It was good talking to you. You too. Thanks. Bye. You've been listening to Blamo. Special thanks to my guest, Paul Feig, for coming on. Our theme music is by Tan Lines. If you like this episode, there's plenty more to dive into at blamopod.com. Listen to Blamo on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're even on iHeartRadio now, too. While you're at it, leave a review. It helps let others know and discover the show. Yes, it really does. I've been reading your recent reviews and emails, and I can't thank you enough for reaching out. If you want to get in touch, just give me a shout on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, or send me an email at jeremy at blamopod.com. Thanks again, folks. We'll see you next week.